My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 18, On the Run from the Living Dead. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Nelson Mandela. Weissman had just passed the sign which told him St. Argus was still over 60 miles away. The storm was blasting the mountains in front of him. He had been reduced to a speed of a mere 30 miles an hour on the snow-covered highway. Plows could not keep up with the dumping effect of the blizzard. Now he had his suspicions about the plant, but he couldn't prove anything, nor could he speculate correctly about the creatures which burst through the regions of the plant. He had no idea what the ramifications would ultimately be. And above it all, he could not possibly know what was happening to Marta just 60 miles ahead across the mountains in the little town just on the Canadian border. Marta let up on the gas when she made it across the bridge, but the car kept going. At first she thought the pedal was stuck and she wrapped it several times, but it was not a mechanical breakdown. Jamie, who seemed to possess the power to manipulate objects over a limited range, had somehow gotten a hold of the acceleration cable just like he had the night before. Only this time he had recovered from another death and was gaining, not losing strength. The car was unquestionably out of her control now. She was approaching 60 miles an hour along the river road, then 70 miles an hour. The car was just going too fast to control, but she could not stop it and crashed through a barbed wire fence and into a farmer's field. The car plowed deep through the snow like an icebreaker and its speed was actually increasing. If he was not going to kill her directly, then he would kill her this way. She would end up like the rest of them, with no hope, no future, no life. Farmer's house was only a few hundred yards away and the car kept moving through the snow. She tried pulling at the keys and actually succeeded in removing them from the ignition. But even with the engine completely off, the car was unaffected. It was on a collision course with the house and the barns ahead. Marta had little choice other than jumping out. She took her clothes off the seat and tucked them around her stomach and bunched up her body. As the snow flew upward from the tires, she thrust open the door and at an incredible speed she leaped from the car. She tumbled so rapidly she lost consciousness, coming to rest face up in the moonlight, surrounded by over a foot of snow. Yet the car kept going, caught the side of the barn and then pushed through the wall of the farmhouse. Seconds later, there was a prodigious explosion. The house caught fire by the time Marta sat up. And in just a few minutes, the house was one massive fireball. She felt as if every muscle in her body had been torn apart. Snow was stuffed down her jeans and heavy sweatshirt. And she knew very well as she looked into the fire. If she hadn't jumped from the car, she, like the people in that house, would be trapped in a fiery hell, destined to emerge to die again. Standing slowly, she held her side. Her ribs were bruised, maybe even broken, and her head was ringing as she tried to orient herself. The lights of the town were to her right in the clock tower at 12.30. The Pendleton mansion was up the hill, several hundred yards to the left of the clock tower. She found her clothes and quickly shielded herself from the bitter cold. The highway was not far away, 
Her ankle bothered her now from the fall and she limped through the snow toward the road. In the distance, she could hear mad howling, shots being fired, and people screaming. It was as if the whole town had lost its collective sanity, it was in the center of a war zone. There was no way she could travel that route and hope to stay alive. Once again, she crossed over the highway and stepped into another field. As she limped in pain, she skirted the town in the confusion and slowly made her way around to the base of the Pendleton Hill. The Pendleton Mansion, white in the moonlight, stared down at her. Every light in the house seemed to be burning extra brightly, as if the old man were holding an extravaganza. Only this gathering threatened to surpass anything that had ever taken place inside that mansion. As she stepped away from the hill, she could feel immovable, unfathomable forces grasping around her body and dragging her toward the hill. No! No! I don't want to go there! No! She was dragged toward the driveway, and as she fought to run down the hill, her body was taken along the asphalt and marched against her will toward the mansion the mansion disappearing within the trees for a short time, but the glow of the lights lingered above the crest of the hill. Marta fell forward and was dragged through the snow along the drive and up toward the mansion. Then her body was turned upright and she struggled to run back down the hill, but was spun around in midair and drawn toward the front door. There appeared to be no one inside Despite the burning lights, the wind slapped against her, blowing her hood back several times. The house was indeed empty inside, yet the fire was blazing. The huge wooden door opened toward the inside of the mansion and the light shone over her body. No! No! I won't join you! She pulled forward and across the tiles. Warmer air blew across her face, pushing her brown hair back. All movement returned to her body, but the door slammed behind her, and when she went to open the brass doorknob, the door was secured shut. She moved up to each window, pushing them one by one, but they wouldn't budge. And then she turned. It was only the second time she had ever been in the mansion. The other time being when Jamie had the final confrontation with his father. Everything was just as she had remembered it. Slowly, she walked down the hallway. Looking up at the brightly lit chandelier, she headed toward the north wing. The door to her right past the drawing room was closed, but a seal of light surrounded it. She opened the door quickly. Pendleton's Dobermans on the far side of the room spun around and bared their teeth. Get away from me! Get away from me! They were covered with scattered blood and they were foaming at the mouth but it was the red glowing circles that caused her to shuffle back. back. Even animals had Get not been back. left out of the carnage. As they sprung through the air, she slammed the door and then locked it. The dogs clawed at the door now with the same force Jamie had used at the house, growling and ready to chew her apart. She passed through the drawing room and entered another room near the entryway. As she flipped on the light, her mouth opened wide and she almost choked. There, with nails driven through his body, was one of the servants pegged to the wall, half dead or half alive, and he seemed to be grinning at her through the blood covering his face. Time she let out a loud scream and then ran back to the hallway. She was silenced by the car, pulling up the circular Pendleton driveway. She ran to the windows and yanked back the curtains. 
Jamie and his father were inside the car as it stopped in front of the porch. Fia threatened to overtake her as she raced up for the stairs. The staircase was covered by a cascading river of blood. One of the maids was sprawled over the marble steps with blood pulsing out of her every few seconds. Marta was beyond the point of screaming now as the abnormal was becoming normal. She raced up the stairs trying to make it to the top before the dead men entered the mansion. The second floor was also brightly lit. She ran into the high ceiling dining room above the drawing room. She stormed through the room past a fully set table and out the other exit. But the large outside door had opened below. Jamie and his father were now in the house with her. She had been found out. Jamie and the old man were coming up the winding marble staircase. We know you are up there, Martha, cried Jamie, his voice reverberating around the mansion. Give up now and die like us. Marta would never give up. She wanted to live more than anything else in the world. Letting go of the doorknob, she sprinted to her right to the north wing of the large house. She passed through several doors, locking each of them as she entered another part of the house. The part that was to be her husband's quarters, according to Pendleton's grand plan of thing. But she knew there'd be no reasoning with her murderous husband when he broke his way inside. I can kill you with one blow to your head, called Jamie, his voice still sounding loudly throughout every room of the house. I will mash your skull and spread your brains onto the floor. You cannot run or hide from me. Marta waited and waited, trying to figure out what she could do. Finally, she rushed desperately toward the room to her right. Strangely, the television set blasted with people roaring with laughter from a situation comedy. As she tried to guess her next move, the television screen froze. And in the place of the comedy program was a full, overblown close-up of her husband's face. I know where you are. It is just a matter of time. He said as he began laughing at her and touching her soul with an unyielding horror. <laughs> she saw a door to the left of the TV set. The staircase perhaps could lead to the kitchen below in freedom. As the television thundered with Jamie's laughter, she reached out and turned the doorknob. It was her last chance to leave, she thought, and she rushed through the doorway. She had taken but two steps down the stairs when she ran into the old man who had gone around from the other direction. He put his cold, clammy hands around her fragile, smooth neck. Die, Martha. Die. Join us. Come forever to die. She bit at his hand, but it was like he experienced no pain at all. He was not even deterred by her attack. Raising her, raising her arms, she struggled fiercely with him. Even at his much older, advancing age, he still had the advantage. The only alternative was to shove him down the stairs. Once pushed, even the old man could not combat the force of gravity. He lost his balance and quickly relinquished his grip on her, but she felt herself going forward with him. She broke her fall by catching the banister with both hands. Her palms were shot full of tiny splinters, but she was able to get to her feet and up the stairs again. Below, Pendleton rolled head over heels down the narrow staircase to the first floor, screaming for his life as his neck snapped. 
Marta locked the door because she knew he would somehow be back to threaten her. As she turned from the door, Jamie was still on the television set. Your efforts are useless. He said as if he was trying to torment her. He will be born again to die and butcher your body. She picked up the rocker and hurled it at the set. The picture tube imploded and sparks flew about the room. The set had been destroyed, but Jamie's face, laughing loudly, was still a wavering image between the broken glass. She covered her mouth at the sight and backed out of the room. It was as if he would destroy her bit by bit before the actual kill, because he knew he had her trapped. The wood from the door was splintering as Marta ran ahead and down through the north wing, not knowing what to expect. There were rooms on both sides as Jamie busted up the door and she ran into the room to her left. This room was used by the servants for sewing and general repairs, but it did have a door in the rear. She locked the outside door. Upon opening the inner door, she found another staircase leading up to the attic. This was the only dark portion of the mansion and she fell her way upward. Outside the sewing room, Jamie's ubiquitous cursing voice rattled her unsteady nerves, but she continued upward through the darkness. We know you are in there, Marta. We know. Let us in. He cried, and the boards around her seemed to rumble from the sound. His bloody fists began pummeling the sewing room door, and then he kicked at it furiously. It was as if he finally wanted to get it over with and kill her. She could hear Pendleton now, apparently alive again. He was coming up the kitchen stairway and calling her name. The ruckus grew louder outside the door as she moved upward. Marta! 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 It was colder up here in this portion of the mansion and it seemed to affect all the injured portions of her body. It couldn't be much farther, she thought, as she breathed the dusty air. But something blocked her way. Perhaps she would come to another door or a change in direction of the stairs. Or it could be something else. Her face froze in the darkness as she prepared for the worst. I know you're there. I know you're there, she said quickly and raised her hands. No one answered. It had to be an inanimate object. She reached forward, but the object she felt was wet and gushy. She retracted her hand, yet she still had to go forward. She slipped by it, feeling her way along the wall to a light switch. As she flipped it on, the overhead light came on and she let out a deafening wail. The butler's head was hanging from the ceiling and punctured with dozens of needles from the sewing room below, looking like a wet pincushion. The rest of his body was cast across the stairway in a mutilated mess. She could see the wallpaper smeared with blood and above her and the butler's eyes seemed to be watching her every move. She had to get out. The door was unlocked as she pushed her way to the spacious attic. There was a pull chain ahead. She turned and locked the lower staircase door as she pulled the cord. Yet there were no windows in the attic, just a half a dozen louvers along the sidewalls. She made her way over to the closet louvers and lifted them up with all her remaining strength, but they were nailed shut. And there was a wire mesh embedded over the outside. Now she reasoned it was impossible to break through it. Time was running out. Her only option was to run down the 50-foot room. She saw the corner to a series of attic bays over the east wing. It was at that time she heard a low, barely audible growl. Jamie broke through the lower door to the sewing room. Despite the growl, she rushed forward. She had to get out. 
The room was clear as she sprinted down its length, hurtling the boxes and crates. She pulled at the other light cords as she ran. The lights came on near the east wing entrance. Pendleton's Dobermans appeared from nowhere and blocked the entranceway. They were perched for the kill, their mouths frothing and their sharpened sizes outlined in blood. Marta was trapped at both ends. She retreated as the dogs sprang forward. They chased her now as she fell forward to a conglomeration of old sporting equipment. Scrambling, she grasped the handle of a thick baseball bat as the dogs leaped into the air. They were just inches from her, their teeth ready to sink into her flesh. She didn't even look as she let the bat fly. The first dog was knocked unconscious, but the second one rebounded and came at her again. She had no time to bring the bat around, and his teeth sunk into her forearm. He was going to tear her apart like a raw piece of meat, and he was big enough to keep her pinned to the floor. She reached back, grabbing for anything, and got a hold of a dumbbell bar. Against her own emotions, she let the dog have it once again and then twice. He collapsed to the floor, his eyes glowing with the presence of the alien creatures. As she picked up the bat, she knew she had to get out. She resumed her escape route, running back across the room and turning toward the base to the right. Holding onto the baseball bat, she looked inside. The rooms to the right were indirectly lit by bulbs along the wall and their rear portions covered with insulation. She ran down the hallway and into the shadows. There were more voices ahead. The rest of the servants, their quarters and rooms behind the drawing room, came out and up the opposite stairs. Like a spinning yo-yo, she darted back to the other, more open room. She had to get out of the mansion, but it looked as if it were all over. Jamie had finally broken through. Pendleton and the children followed him into the attic. Marta smashed the overhead light bulb and ran the other way, but it was no safer there. Far down the end of the hallway, coming out of the darkness, the servants, armed with any weapon they could find, coming at a steady pace, Again, she darted one way and then to the other, but it was pointless. Her luck had run out. Marta! Called Jamie in a volume that shook the upper timbers. Marta! He repeated. She stood poised with the bat. The servants mumbled as they approached. Their eyes glowing with the creatures from across the universe creatures that had taken over their bodies, and they were condemned to die over and over again. She did not want to join them. They were all around her now, even the dogs, and they growled and spit with every advancing step, and Jamie led them all, smiling with the thrill of the final quest. You can't kill me. Don't you see what's happened to you? You've been taken over by these bundles, the creatures, the creatures from the plant. The universal power has done all this, can't you see? We have joined with them, said the old man, so we can live to die. Like it is supposed to be, said Jamie. No, you don't have to, Jamie, she pleaded and looked down at the distorted faces of her two children, filled with vengeance and hatred. Just tell me why you have to kill, why you must go on killing. But they weren't listening to her words as the circle surrounding her got tighter. A dozen glowing red-framed eyes all set with one final intention, violent, painful death. We're not supposed to act like this. We can't live together if, if we live like this, don't you see? 
You're not human in your present form. Humans don't have that thing around their eyes. Human beings don't live just to die. There's more to life than that. You cannot change the inevitable. Jamie bellowed as he moved ahead of the others. Maybe he wanted to get first crack at her. She raised the bat as she moved around, but he was unfrightened by her threats. She lunged forward and unleashed the wood, mutilating his nose into a bloody stub. Once again, she swung the bat. This time she knocked out his front teeth, but he caught the bat, broke it in two, and cast the pieces across the attic. Then they all moved inward now, and Jamie reached out with his hands. He was going to choke her dead. She could almost feel the air leaving her body as she tried to back up. In a few seconds, she would be like them. I will not die! I will not die! She yelled at them. Then she faced them and bared her teeth. It was not as if she didn't fear them. Rather, she was overcome with underlying anger. They wanted her to allow them to take her life. It was all so simple to them. She would die over and over again. But if they wanted her, they were going to have to fight. Death beckons honey pie. <laughs> Laughed Jamie. You're my husband. You're a human being. Why? Why would you do this? She yelled. We all have our reasons for living. He said as he raised his hands upward. We have our good sides and our bad sides. Come, Marta. Don't you approve of my other face? He squeezed her windpipe as he fought. But her precious breathing passage was becoming occluded. She squirmed, never wanting to give in to death, and stepped backward with all her might. The weight of her body pressed on the insulation and the plaster and wallboards of the lower rooms. The ceiling broke under the stress, and they all plunged through. Jamie held her throat for only a second as they all went careening down to the second floor. Marta hit the carpet just above the marble staircase, and she was covered with the rubble from above. Jamie, however, had pushed outward, hit the iron banisters, slicing his upper torso lengthwise. She rose in pain and held the railing. Somehow she had caught her own breath and hurried down the stairs, but she was breathing heavily. Just for a second, she stopped at the bottom of the stairway. She felt something on her shoulder. Her parka was splattered with dripping blood from her husband's body. That sparked her into running directly for the drawing room doors. She unlocked the doors and actually rushed outside. In the darkness, she could see, as Pendleton had always intended, a stunning view of St. Argus. Many fires, perhaps 15 or 20, had been already started in various locations of the town. They blazed high into the night, as not only the physical structure of the town was threatened, but the entire social fabric was becoming torn from its foundation. She had to run, flee from the horror, even with her injuries. She was faster than they were and could keep ahead of them as long as her strength held out. She ran toward the scrub oaks and this time down the hill. She had gotten away. Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.